Glad you're here to worship tonight. It's a good night to be together. Obviously, we have a lot of folks out of town and doing other things tonight, and obviously always small groups, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here to worship. And just to, to, to echo what Craig said, we do remember those that have lost loved ones because of, of the great fight for, for uh, freedom and even that fight, ironically, for peace. And so tonight, we do remember them, but we go on in our study of First Peter tonight, and we're talking tonight about keys to community unity. That kind of rhymes, doesn't it? We have talked several times over the last several years about the idea of the word community means common unity. And so it's maybe a group of principles that a group decides on. And you say that we are going to have these things in common. This will be what unifies us, these things. Or when you think about the word communion, on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, we take communion together as a body. And then some will take it tonight afterwards that weren't here this morning. And that word communion, common union, that we are coming together with what what we have in common, the one unifying thing that brings us together above all other things is Jesus. And so we remember his body, we remember his blood, we remember his death, and we see all of that through the lens of the resurrection. So tonight, we think about this idea from 1 Peter about how to have community unity. As the church was being oppressed in the time that Peter's writing, there's all this fear from people on the outside. He's writing to Christians who are on the run, to those that have been scattered, and now they're living in places far from home. And he's saying, look, you have got to stay together. You know, one of the things on all those shows that you see, like what is an amazing race, you know that show of where people go around the country, around the world, and they compete, and you have a, you have a couple, maybe it's a husband and wife, maybe it's brother and sister, whatever, and they compete. You know what happens every time besides the race they're in is they get in fights, and they turn on each other, and they get mad, right? And so he says, you know, you are in this amazing race, and you need to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of this. Somehow find a way to have unity and get along. So Peter, at this point, if you have been following along with these lessons in 1 Peter 1 and 2, Peter has, has addressed basically the majority of situations you can think of. He says, husbands, this is the way you should be. Wives, this is the way you should be. Slaves, this is the way you should be. Children, this is the way you should be. And so he's gone through all of those situations, and it's almost as if he is building up to this point to say, okay, let's bring it all together. Now that we have considered all the various ways that we can be connected to each other and maintain unity, now let's put it all together in kind of what we might say this final statement about unity and relationships in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where the Apostle Peter writes this, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. And be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, first of all, I want to hit that last line just a little bit. Since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. We were called to give a blessing. There's something powerful when you think about that. I wasn't called just to receive a blessing, although that is part of the calling. 
but I was also called to give a blessing. Now, I want to take this out of the religious world for just a moment, and I want you to think about this and what you would like in a spouse, what you would like in a friend, what you would like your family home, your home to be like. And I don't know where you come from. I don't know what relationships you've been in, but I want you to think about this. Isn't it great when you can live in a place where people are like-minded where people are sympathetic when someone's sick, the other one, oh, let me help you. Someone's making supper, do you need help with that? Cleaning up afterwards, whatever it is. Where people are sympathetic, where people love one another and they're compassionate and they're humble and they don't pay back evil for evil. Would that not be a great place to live? That's what we want Christian homes to look like. That's what we want Christian relationships to look like. And I'm sure that's what you would like your workplace to look like. Where people are like-minded, sympathetic, they love each other, they're compassionate, they don't repay evil for evil. This is what it's supposed to be like in the kingdom of God. This is what the church is supposed to be like. Now I have to say, I mean, every once in a while something goes on, but this church is incredibly united. This church is, does great things together. And part of the reason why I think it does so well as it does is because of the, uh, passages like this, that somehow we keep moving forward. I had a friend that was in town the other day. He said, tell me, how are things at Memorial? I said, you know, I said, maybe I'm crazy to say this. And I said, I've only known Memorial for 17 years. But I said, it is as healthy as I have ever seen it. It is in a good place because there are these things that we're talking about that are there. These keys can bring unity to the community. These keys are what brings this Christian community known as Memorial together. This is also the thing that can bring the community of Houston together and what can bring the community we might even call the United States or the world together are these things where if we're excuse me, people love one another and they're sympathetic and they don't repay evil for evil. They care about each other. These are the things. But oh, isn't it difficult when someone has done evil to you and you want to repay that evil. You want to get them back. I've told you this story, I'm sure, before. I'm, I know I have. But I'm old enough, I can just tell them over again. So when I was in kindergarten, I'll never forget when the, Mrs. Jones was the teacher and her son Joe was in my class and and Joe was the most popular kid in class. I don't know if it's because of his mom or because he ran the fastest or what. I don't know. But I'll never forget when we had this monkey in class. It had a plastic head and it had a cloth body. But Joe, for whatever reason that day, I still remember we were sitting at this table. He hit me on top of the head with that monkey, with the head of the monkey. I hurt my head. Still mad about it. And his mother saw it, and she said, David, you can hit Joe on the head with the monkey. Let me tell you, I went like this. <laughs> Problem was, she said he could have his hands over his head. That wasn't fair, because I didn't have mine over my head. But I can remember that, because here we come back to repaying evil for evil and thinking, I didn't get my just due. I didn't get him back. When an individual or a community thinks that way, 
All it does is bring discord. All it does is hurt everybody. And the person that, was, that started out that had the, the injustice committed against them, they seethe with it. And they're the ones who lose more sleep than the other side. And so this is the kind of community, community that we want the church to be. You know, when we think about this, when we're thinking about this as the church, but also when we think about this in marriage, there is a couple by the name of Emerson and Sarah Egriches. Is that not a great name? They, uh, they have a book called Love and Respect, and, and some of you have probably read it. The Roberts have probably taught out of it, and I've taught it before. It has a lot of good things in it. The best thing of all, in my opinion, in that book is what's called the crazy cycle. And you remember in Scripture, it talks about husbands love your wives, and then it says, wives, respect your husbands. Y'all, y'all maybe, you know this passage of Scripture. Wives, husbands love your wives, and hus- husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. Sometimes we say, why didn't it say respect and love opposite ways? And what they say, at least in their theory, is that what, what women generally crave most is love and what men crave most is respect. And so we could fight that back and forth, but understand the concept. This is their crazy cycle. When a woman doesn't, this is just an example, a woman does not feel love she reacts, and she does not show respect to her husband. When the husband does not feel respect, he reacts and doesn't show love to his wife. And when the wife doesn't, get lo- doesn't feel loved, she reacts and doesn't show respect to her husband. And then the husband reacts, and he doesn't show love to his wife. Then she reacts, and it goes on and on and on And if you wondered why there are so many unhappy marriages and so many divorces in the world, because this circle keeps going until finally someone says, I'm out of here. This is not just for marriage. This is in the Christian community as well. When people treat each other like this, whether it's love or respect or whatever whatever other thing you want to put in here, and they don't feel love or they don't feel respected with their opinion of how they understand scripture to read or what they desire or what they want, then they react and they don't show love. And then back and forth we go. And before long, instead of having one church, you have two. And soon, instead of two, you have four. Instead of four, you have eight. And and those churches aren't started out of a healthy desire to plant but instead come out of people who fight with each other. He says, for the Christian community, you find a way to get along. You love one another. You're sympathetic to each other. You're compassionate. You're humble. You don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead you give blessings. Now, it's interesting when he says this, and we all always want to try to go along with the culture as much as possible. I certainly do. But sometimes the Bible is counterculture. Sometimes the Bible tells you to do something that is not like what the culture says. And boy, we could have a list of those things today, right, that we can name. But in the first century, humility was counterculture. Humility was not something that the Roman Empire desired. And so that's really nice for archaeology today because you have so many statues that that have been uncovered of the 
of the Caesars and so many, so many great buildings and temples that have been designed in honor of the Caesars. And that's great for us as we want to learn about their culture. But really, they worship themselves. And because they worship themselves, they didn't want humility. That was considered something bad to say, oh, I'm not, you know, I need to do better. You would never say, I need to do better. You would never admit to that in a Roman culture of the first century. So what Paul tells him to do, or what Peter tells him to do here, is completely counterculture. <clears throat> so in 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12, where he goes through the next section of this, I want you to see what he says. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days. Who is that? That's all of us, right? For all of us who want to love life and to see good days, what do I need to do? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When I was a little boy, we used to sing that song in Bible class for children. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. The Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Little feet, where you go. Scared me to death. Because I wasn't always the best little boy, right? I got in trouble, and I can tell you all kinds of weird stories later. But he says, think about who you are. If you want to love good life, want to love life and see long days, then this is the way to act. Now, remember this back in the culture. The culture is that, that the government was against them, and it was going to be more against them if they didn't watch out. So he says, if you want to live a good life, i.e., you don't want to be killed by Nero, then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord, not the Lord of Nero necessarily, but that Lord is seeing us. You see, there is common sense for an abundant life in that passage of Scripture. That passage tells us what we need to be. The way to live, to have a good life, one where you love life, and generally long days, this is it. So I kind of tried to boil it down for this for us tonight, of these kind of being keys. Speak good rather than evil. Do good and pursue peace. Now you could add to this, obviously. But this is basically it boiled down from Peter tonight. Speak good rather than evil. Do good, pursue peace. Here are the keys. If we went away and these were the only things we had, speak good, do good, pursue peace. If that's all we had, we would have a better world than we have right now. If that was it. This is my motto and said, this is the way I'm going to be at the grocery store. This is the way I'm going to be in the office. This is the way I'm going to be in the house. I'm going to speak good. I'm going to do good. And I'm going to pursue peace. The world would be a better place. You notice he says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And boy, sometimes we like to think about the people that the face of the Lord is against. Oh, the Lord doesn't like this person. The Lord doesn't like that person. And boy, we can come up with quite a list. Matter of fact, if, if we were to 
open this up for conversation tonight and said, who is it you think the Lord is upset with? We could really come up with a great list of names. People who are famous and infamous and people we've never heard of. There would be all kinds of folks, right? But I also want you to understand who his face is against. It's against those who do evil, who that actually could become us when we repay evil with evil. So it's not just the bad guy, but it's the good person that reacts in a bad way as well. God's saying, don't do that. You know what it was like? It used to happen with our kids all the time, having two kids, and they would fight. And one of them would be the innocent one, right? And they would be innocent, and the other kid would just haul off and hit them. And then you know what would happen? The one that was the innocent one, they would go tackle them. And what I was saying before the tackle happened was, don't do anything, do not react, you're in a good spot right now, do not react. And then there it went, and then there was escalation. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't do that. And this is really boiling this down, but God favors those that try. He wants you to try. There will be times that you do repay evil for evil. There will be times that you do not speak well. There will be times that you do bad. But at least say, I am committed to trying. I am committed to trying to live right. And I'm pretty convinced if, if you're here tonight or you're watching online, you intend to do right if you're doing that on a holiday weekend, right? Try. Try to be like Jesus. And then in everything we've said in the last few weeks, remember, this is about the kingdom. Yeah, but he said something against me. This is not about you. It is about the kingdom. Yeah, but you know what they did? This is about the kingdom. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is much bigger than we are. And while it feels like it's about us, it is about something that is larger than any of us can ever get our arms around. It is about the kingdom of God. How difficult it is to live that way. But that is what Peter wants his audience to know all along. It is about the kingdom. So here's my question for us tonight. What will I do with the keys? You're saying, well, what are the keys? Well, all these could be keys, but just very simply, speak good. It sounds like we should be saying speak well, right? But in this case, speak good instead of evil. So speak good, do good, pursue peace. Speak good, do good, pursue peace. So in your house, in your workplace, in your, in your other communities, neighborhood, wherever it may be, speak good, do good, pursue peace. The world will be a better place. I like the way the Apostle Paul put it in the book of Romans. As far as it is concerned with you, live at peace with all. We are not to be the instigators. There are times that people wage war against us, but our intent is to always get back to a peaceful place and to honor God and put God first. So tonight, maybe you're there, maybe you need prayers, you need prayers to be more like Jesus and more like this passage of Scripture. Or maybe you need to be baptized into Jesus and start that life where the Prince of Peace is truly not just the Prince, but the King of your life.
Come tonight as we stand and sing.